anybody who may be listening for the very first time. It is so good to be with you all today. Brother Robert has invited me to come down here and tell you my story. And I'm so delighted to be able to do this, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to do it. So let me introduce myself to you. My name is Micah. It means, who is like Jehovah? I come from the tribe of Ephraim, which incorporates a portion of the country between Bethel and Esdralon. We were named after one of the younger sons of Joseph, who of course was the son of Jacob. And together with the tribe of Manasseh, we made up the house of Joseph. So Brother Robert thought that you would learn a great deal from me if you heard my story firsthand. I've been spending plenty of time with him this week, and I've learned so much about your culture. I've seen cars on the road, airplanes in the sky. I've seen television screens and mobile phones for the very first time. And I mean, the ability to communicate with so many people online is truly amazing. We had no such thing back in my day. And Brother Robert also introduced me to this wonderful book. I believe you call it the Bible. What an incredible book. And I've been studying this book all week. You people don't know how blessed you are to have this book in your lives. I was absolutely mesmerized by it. And I'm sure that if I had this book available to me back in 1300 BC, I probably would have made better decisions in my life. So before I go ahead and tell you my story, I just want, you to war just want to warn you that the last section of this book, the book of Judges that you have been studying, is not for the faint-hearted. It is rather dark and gruesome. We did some evil things back then, evil things to ourselves and to our very own people. But my story is very important. Um, and I would encourage you to stay and to listen to what we did, that you can learn from the mistakes that we made. You see, our ultimate sin, and that is why I've entitled my message today, Israel's Ultimate Sin. So without any further ado, let us read chapter 17 of Judges together, beginning at verse 1. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it to my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicated the silver to the Lord from my hand, from my son, to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man, Micah, had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons, who became his priest. 
very important verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became the priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this blessed day that you have given us. Father, we just pray that you open our minds, that people listen to the story firsthand, Lord, that they can picture themselves in that time, back in 1300 BC, in the time of Micah. Father, may we learn from Micah. May we grow in knowledge and strength. May we be encouraged and be bold to spread your word, Lord. And Father, we just want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit guide us through these difficult passages. And may we grow, Lord, uh, from the inside out. And Father, we just ask this all in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So before we delve deep into my story, I just want to remind you all of what was going on at that time. Now, if you can recall, Joshua, our great leader, commanded us Israelites to be faithful to God and to keep his commandments. Now, the commandments that were passed down to us by our great leader, Moses. And by doing this, we were to display God's glory to the other nations. Unfortunately, as you've been learning from the book of Judges, we failed to do this. We disobeyed God, the God of Israel. And as you've been reading in the first chapter of this book, that the children of Israel, we as the children of Israel, inquired of the Lord which tribe should go against the remaining Canaanites. Joshua, our great leader, had died, and there was no leader appointed in his place. So Judah, together with Simeon, was ordered to go against the Canaanites, and they achieved some good success. Remember, they brought Adoni Bezak to Jerusalem. Remember, we cut off his toes and his thumbs. They also defeated the Canaanites in Hebron, in Deber, in Zephath, in Hormah, in Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron. Now, although Judah achieved tremendous success, our other tribes failed to achieve their goals. The Benjamites failed to drive out the Jebusites. 
in Jerusalem. And we, as the house of Joseph, failed against Bethel. And so did the tribes of Zebulun, of Asher, and Naphtali fail to drive out the Canaanites. The Amorites were also far too powerful for the tribe of Dan. So many of us failed to destroy the Canaanites, as was commanded by the Lord. Now the entire purpose of destroying the Canaanites was to avoid their corrupt way of life. So to live a life that was holy and pleasing to the Lord. But remember, an angel of the Lord appeared to us, and the angel said, where you find in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So what happened? We ended up living like the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and of course the Jebusites. They were there to test us, to see if we would obey the commandments of the Lord. But sadly, we didn't. We abandoned the Lord, who was the God of our fathers, who brought us out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. We did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We broke our covenant with Him by worshipping idols, the Baals. Our parents allowed us to marry foreigners, to be related with the enemy, a huge mistake which caused such turmoil and um, uh, strife amongst ourselves. So let's now get back to my story now. The first point I would like you to see is you'll see our distorted perspective of God, which we see in Judges chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. Now in the book of Judges, my story uh, appears after the death of Samson. But in actual fact, these events occurred much earlier. In fact, after the death of Joshua and before any of the judges came into power. It occurred in the days of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, which you see is recorded in chapter 20, verses 28. So you must remember, in those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is so important for you to understand. And please, I don't want you to miss this. You see, we had no leader and who would ensure that we would keep the commands of the Lord that was given to us by our great leader, Moses. We were able to do what we felt was right in our own eyes, in our own hearts. So now my mother had a large sum of money. 1,100 pieces of silver to be exact. Now I would see this money lying around the house and I would dream of all the things that it could do for me. The land that I could purchase, the cattle that I could buy, the status that it would give me amongst my neighbors and my friends. I wanted everyone to look at me and see the joy and the happiness that I had from all this money. Now my mother and I 
used to quarrel about it. I mean, she didn't really need it, did she? She was comfortable. My father had died, and she told me that she would leave it to me as an inheritance. But I really couldn't wait until then. I had responsibilities, you know. I had children to look after. So I just took it, you know. It was just lying there. Every day she used to sit there counting all her pieces of silver, and I just couldn't help myself. We had no leader, and I did what I felt was right in my own eyes. However, when she found out that her money was gone, she was enraged. I think she may have suspected me, but I wasn't sure. But she was mad, and she was so indignant that she put a curse on it. And I heard this curse with my very own ears. This scared me. I mean, to have a curse on you back in those days, it was a terrible news. It meant big trouble, very bad luck. And I didn't want anything bad to happen to me. So I decided to return it to her. I was so anxious about this curse, you know. I wanted her to take this curse back. Fortunately, my mother was so glad. She not only took the curse back, she even blessed me. She said, blessed be my son by the Lord. Did you notice the capital letter Lord? You know, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that our great leader Moses communed with, who he met with. She was so happy that she even told me to dedicate the silver to the Lord and to make a carved image and a metal image. So when I restored the money back to her, she gave me 200 pieces of silver, which I was to give to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image and a metal image. And I stored it in my own house. I was so excited that I made a shrine, a house of God, where I could worship these carved image and these metal images whenever I want. Whenever I wanted. It was at my convenience. I even made an ephod and various household gods. I was quite pleased with myself. In fact, I was so pleased that I even ordained one of my sons as a priest. I knew that he did not descend from Aaron or was from the house of Levi. But to be honest, in those days, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So who was going to stop me? There was no one to lead us, and I felt then I was doing the right thing. I was so happy that my son was a priest, but something inside me made me very anxious. I didn't quite feel that the Lord would bless me. However, as luck would have it, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, from the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he traveled to the country of Ephraim, and he found my place. Of all the places to stumble on, right? I mean, what were the chances? So I asked him, so where do you come from? And he told me that he was a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah and that he was looking for a place to stay. I was only but thrilled. I convinced him to stay with me and to be a father and a priest. I even offered to pay him a sum of money, 10 pieces of silver to be exact, and also to provide for his living expenses. I mean, my mother was so rich, we could afford it. I knew exactly where the money was hidden, didn't I? I think initially he was a bit hesitant, 
But when he found out the amount of money that I was prepared to pay him, he was absolutely de delighted. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? He accepted. And so I, I ordained this Levite, and he became my priest. He dwelt within my house. I knew that if I had a Levite priest, that God would prosper me. I mean, our great leader, Moses, told us that Levite priests played an important role in the temple. They ensured God's presence in the temple and God's blessings of the land. What I did was not right according to the law of Moses. But hey, we did not have a leader, so I did what was right in my own eyes. I felt good. I felt that God was surely on my side. I have my own priest. I have my own statue of the Lord. He would surely be pleased with me. I mean, he was mighty and powerful, and I had him on my side. Unfortunately, as you know, I was gravely mistaken. I will tell you what happens in the second part of my story, but I just want to pause and reflect here for a moment and just consider what has happened thus far to me. Brother Robert has asked me to provide you with a few teaching points and so that you can learn from my mistakes. You see, my mother and I had a distorted perspective of God. We knew about the Ten Commandments and that was given to us by our leader Moses. However, he was dead. Joshua was gone. We had no leader and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, in his own heart. My mother and I felt that we were worshipping God, Yahweh, the God that our great leader Moses did, and the God that Yahweh did as well, the God that they worshipped. However, we worshipped the God who was right in our own eyes. I mean, we believed in God, but our actions didn't really reflect it, did it? Look at how we broke the second commandment, which you find in Exodus chapter 20. The second commandment states this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So you see, we were worshiping, we thought that we were worshiping the right God, but we certainly did it in the wrong way. My mother and I were so far away from worshiping the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Uh, we could not tell the difference between right and wrong. Our morality was distorted. Did you see what I was willing to do? I stole money from my own mother. I broke the fifth and the eighth commandment, which is, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Exodus chapter 20, verses 12, the fifth commandment. And the eighth commandment, you shall not steal, which is Exodus chapter 20, 15. You see, I love money. What it could do for me all the things that I believed I could get from it. I believed it would bring me immense happiness. Have you ever been consumed by money? That nothing else matters, that you're so focused on what it can do for you, 
by getting as much money as possible and as soon as possible to see the things that he can do to buy a bigger house, a fancier car, a boat, or a yacht. You know, don't get me wrong, money is important for our lives, that we need it to survive, but I was reading Paul's letter to Timothy, and Paul stated to Timothy, he said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, this verse makes perfect sense to me. But I've been learning so much about your society today that I, re that I realize that money is not the only idol one can have. I read this fantastic book this week by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. And Tim Keller reminds us about an idol. He says this, An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. So you see, it is anything that you value more than God. Maybe you value yourself, your looks, or your own abilities. You put your faith in yourself. You make an idol of yourself where you become arrogant and prideful. In my short time here, I've seen so many people trying to become famous for doing very little, you know, wanting to stand out and be recognized. Or perhaps you value sex more than God, where you lust and have sexual urges that consume you so much that it is all that you can think of, all that you want in life. You think it will bring you immense pleasure and happiness. Or perhaps you value your mobile phone or computer more than you value God. We spend our countless hours scrolling through social networks where you fail to get your head out your phone or your computer and you fail to see the beauty around you. Or perhaps you value entertainment <clears throat> excuse me, or comfort more than God where you want to spend more time on the golf course or on a Sunday brunch where you want to be comfortable and not be hassled by giving to those in need for not loving your neighbor as yourself. Are you guilty of these things? Just like I was guilty. And did you notice the other thing that I was guilty of? I mean, I made my son a priest, my own personal priest. It was unlawful for an Ephraimite to be a priest and that worship should only take place at the tabernacle. This essentially was homemade worship to a man-made God. I felt that I could use God for my own means so that God would see my good deeds, what was right in my own eyes, that he would bless me. Can you see the error of my ways? Have you ever used God for your own purposes? Have you ever asked God to bless you in a certain way or have given very little in return, treated him like a genie in a bottle, called on his name whenever you felt like it, asked him to help you time and time again, called on his name when you wanted a promotion at work, or when you uh, was heading into a difficult meeting, or asked him to yield your body from an illness, or asked him to pass an exam. And in return, what have you done? 
you have done very little. And maybe you've made promises that you promised to be kind to people, to be a better person, to pray more, to read the Bible more, or to give more money to church or to charity. You promise all these things, yet you fail to deliver. You spend little time with Him. You don't pray to Him. You don't read your Bible. You don't attend church. Yet you expect so much to receive blessings. And you thought that, it were, that God is here to serve you. Remember? Not the other way around. So friends, what I've learned from reading the Gospels is that we were created to serve Him. We were created to worship the true living God, the Yahweh in the correct manner. Remember, Jesus reminds us in the Gospels of Matthew and of Mark, where He says, Even as the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve, sorry, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give Himself as a ransom for many. So, if you're not sure who God is, then I would recommend that you read your Bible, that the Scriptures make it clear that He reveals Himself through creation, and He reveals Himself through His Word. He is sovereign, He's omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He's omniscient, and He's holy and He's righteous. And He also revealed His grace through His Son Jesus, by dying on the cross for our sin. Thank God that He sent us a King, King Jesus. Matthew wrote in his Gospel, when Jesus instructed His disciples to get a donkey just prior to His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And they were to say, the Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Matthew 21, 3-5. So let's now look at the second portion of my story and consider my second point, the consequences of unfaithfulness, which we see in chapter 18, 1-31. Now remember, in those days, there was no king. The Danites were unable to settle in their allotted territory because they had failed to overcome the Amorites. The Amorites were just too strong for them. So therefore, the people of Dan sent five able men from Zorah and Eshtol. Now these towns were located in the Judean lowlands, approximately 15 miles west of Jerusalem. And the Danites were in search of a territory for them to occupy because they didn't have a place to call their own. Now these five men happened to stumble on my place. I mean, what were the chances, right? And they lodged near my place. And as they approached my place, they heard the voice of my Levite priest. They seemed to have recognized his voice as... They had been, as this Levite priest had been in their country, and most likely had conversations with him. So they proceeded to interrogate my Levite priest, asked him all sorts of questions, like, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? I mean, what intrusive questions, right? It was none of their business why I had a personal priest, 
But unfortunately, he spilt the beans. He told him pretty much everything. He explained how he came to my place and that I hired him as a priest. And they underhandedly asked my Levite priest to inquire of our God if their journey was going to be successful or not. Like they were really interested in God, you know, you know what I mean? They were up to no good. They were up to their devilish schemes. So the five men then departed from my place. And then they came across the town Laish, which is the furthest northern border of the land of Canaan, at the foot of Mount Lebanon, near the fountain of Jordan. It was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Now these men observed the number of people that were living there. Uh, that were living there, and the manner in which they lived, and of course, their ability to protect themselves. It was not difficult for them to notice that the town of Laish was incredibly rich and secluded. They were a very quiet and peaceful nation, with no watchmen to guard them, and no weapons of war to be for their defense. So really, easy pickings for the Danites, Right? So these five men returned to their brothers in Zorah and Eshtoel and reported all that they had seen on their journey, probably reported everything that they had seen in my house as well. They believed that the land was good for them and lacking in nothing and perfect for them to possess it. And they firmly believed that, that God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, had given it into their hands. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtoel and encamped in Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. Now as they passed from there, they came to the hill country of Ephraim. And yes, you guessed it, came across my place. Now the five men who had scouted my place before reminded the brothers that I had an ephod that I had household gods, that I had a carved image and a metal image. So you can just imagine what they wanted to do. It wouldn't take a genius to figure out what their intentions were. So just picture the scene, all right? These five men who previously scouted my place and came into my house, and they had 600 men armed with weapons of war stood by at the entrance of the gate. So how do you think my Levite priest must have felt? Well, put yourself in his shoes, right? How would you have felt standing in front of a mob of thugs who were armed with these weapons? Anyhow, these thugs ransacked my place, stealing my household guards, my carved image, my metal image, and my ephod, having no consideration for my personal belongings, my property. These things were mine. You know, they had the nerve to tell my priest to keep quiet when he inquired what they were doing. But the thing that angered me the most was that these Danites then offered my priest a job and offered him even more money. I mean, the audacity of them, right? Um, they not only steal my stuff, but they take my priest as well. And what came as a dagger to my heart is my priest gladly accepted the job offer. He was governed by his own self-interest. He willingly left with them, with all my household goods, with my gods, 
with my carved image, with my metal image, and my, and my ephod as well. However, they didn't get far down the road when I found out what happened. My men and I chased after them as fast as we could. We soon, we soon caught up with them because they had put their little ones out in front, their livestock and all their goods were out in front of them. And as we caught up with them, the men of Dan at the back, they turned around to me and asked me the most insulting question. They said, what is the matter with you that you come with such a company? I mean, their attitude of boldness and arrogance completely flummoxed me. They came into my house, stole my goods, took my priest, and now they're questioning me about chasing after them. So I responded to them. You take, you take the gods that I made and the priest and you go away. And what do I have left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? I mean, seriously? They threatened my life. They threatened the lives of all the people that were with me. So I decided to retreat and I returned home. But the Danites continued on their journey towards Laish with all my household gods, my carved image, my metal image, and my ephod, and my priest. And they came up to the quiet and unsuspecting town of Laish and struck the people with the sword. They burnt the city down to a ground, and there was no, as there was no one left there to help or deliver them. They were far away from Sidon, and they had no dealings with them. They rebuilt the city, and they called it the city of Dan, after their ancestor who was born to Israel. Now the people of Dan then set up a carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the grandson, the grandson of Moses, then became the high priest to the tribe of the Danites until the day of captivity of the land. So they set up images and that, may, uh, that I had made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So folks, you see what unfaithfulness and worshipping of idols and false gods that it spread across the land. It really started in my house. But then you see even more heinous crimes that were committed in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh. There was murder. There was destruction. There was mayhem. There was chaos. It was clear and evident that our lives and our actions did not reflect the worship of God, a holy God, the God that we were commanded to worship by our great leader Moses and our great leader Joshua. Now the last few chapters of this book may be even more difficult to bear. But you see, we had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We failed. And I'm telling you my story because I do not want you to go down the same path. Now I've spent a short week with Brother Robert, but I can tell you the culture of today is not dissimilar to the culture back in 1300 BC. I see evidence of hatred, evidence of hatred between people, discrimination between races and ethnicity. I see gun violence, I see persecution, I see war, I see famine. And many of these things are done in the name of religion. What I've learned from my experience is that God 
will never lead you down the path towards sin. He cannot. He is a holy and a righteous God. He's perfect in every way. If you are being tempted, it's coming from the devil himself. Now Moses handed down these commandments to us and our generation, but we failed to obey. You see, these commandments were not burdensome that were given to us. They were given to us by a loving, gracious, and generous Father. They were rules for us to follow, rules for us to live our lives. And they were, they were there for us to live lives of freedom, not being restricted in any way. But you know what? Brother Robert introduced me to the game of rugby. He told me that he was an ardent Springbok supporter. Well, whatever that meant, I'm not sure. But I was watching this game on television the other day, and I was completely fascinated by it. It was so exciting. It seems like such a brutal game, but I absolutely loved watching it. And Brother Robert explained to me all the rules and the regulations of the game, and it makes it so exciting and enjoyable to watch. But I guess if there were no rules, there would be absolute chaos and mayhem, pandemonium, and I'm sure people would seriously get hurt, would seriously get injured, or even killed on this game. So much in the same way, God, being the creator of this universe, in his wisdom, has given us the commandments to live lives that is pleasing to him, that is acceptable to him. Now the writer of Proverbs writes this and he tells us, My son, keep my word and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So here we see that a son is to guard and protect his father's teaching because they give him spiritual and moral insight. Just as we are to guard and protect the teachings from our Lord. So I encourage all of you to get back to the heart of worship, to understand who God is in the pages of Scripture. Don't be foolish like me. Don't be foolish like my fellow Israelites. Well, friends, it's been an absolute pleasure and a joy to be with you all today. I look forward to catching up with some of you during the week and to spend more time with you and to learn more from you all. But Brother Robert has invited me to Ferrari World today, and he has encouraged me to ride the Formula One Rossa. Now, I'm not sure what that entails, but I believe it's going to be a very thrilling ride. So why don't we pray? Father, we just want to thank you for your blessed word that you have given us, Lord. Thank you that I've conveyed my story to those who have been listening today, Lord. And we just pray that those that are listening don't fall into the trap of idolatry, that understand who you are, Lord, that understand that you are the perfect, righteous, unassailable God, that you're slow to anger and that you're bound in love, that you sent us the ultimate king, Lord, the king that we can follow, the king that we can be proud of, that we can say that overcome the world, that overcome the devil and all his temptations, Father. So we pray that as we enter this week, Lord, may we see you first, may we put you first in our lives. And we just ask this all in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Amen.